Well, good morning and happy new year. You, you off to a good start-ish? Yeah? Okay, well, good. All right. That sounds pretty good. It sure is good to see everybody here and starting the year off together as a family in worship. And uh, boy, when I think of starting a year off, we have a, a great opportunity in front of us this Wednesday and, and then starting in earnest next Sunday. Uh, we're going to kick off the year with 21 days of prayer. I don't know about y'all, I feel like I and my home and my nation need prayer more than ever before. Uh, wait, wait, I, I don't, I don't want to repeat a 2020. <laughs> so, man, I want God to see us depending upon Him and calling out to Him. Wednesday night, we're going to meet here at 6 o'clock. Uh, they'll also be out at our Midlothian campus, but we'll meet in here for 30 minutes and we're going to kind of pray about prayer. We're, we're going to pray that God is going to bless the 21 days of prayer. And there'll be a little pamphlet that'll even kind of guide from next Wednesday to next Sunday, uh, kind of guide you through daily in your prayers. And then next Sunday, we'll kick off 21 days of prayer. We'll have a pamphlet that'll guide us all the way through that. And the idea behind that is, is thousands of us, because we have that opportunity at the Heights, thousand of us calling out to the Lord uh, around the same ideas, the same themes uh, each day for that 21 days. And what we're praying Wednesday is that we profoundly get to see how God moves and works and, and uses those prayers. So Wednesday night in here at, at 6 o'clock, it'll be a half hour on 6.30. You'll be, by 6.30, you'll be on your way. And, um, and then we'll come back next Sunday and kind of kick off in earnest. So I hope you'll be a part of that and be, be looking forward to how God's going to use that in your life. You kind of have your own, if you want to do a Daniel fast or any other kind of fasting, we'll be talking about some various things, but our focus really is, is just on the prayer. So hope you'll be here Wednesday night, be here next Sunday for that. A lot to pray about, a lot, a lot even about praying for this series and how God wants to use that in our lives with the family. You know, I have probably more than any other topic in ministry, uh, from the pulpit anyway, I've done more family series than, than anything else. Any, I did, second place would be way behind. I, I've done a lot of series on family, enough series that so a couple of my messages, you'll go, that sounds familiar. I feel like I've heard this one before, especially if you've been around for a while. So I've done a lot of family series, and I'm very excited about family series. I, I, always, I, love, I love the family. I love my family. I love God's Word. I love how beautifully and wonderfully and profoundly it deals with every issue in the home. It guides us in what we do. I love getting to kind of unfold that and, and we together as a spiritual family see that all together as we take that back to our, our physical family. But, so I'm always excited, but, but not this time. I, I, I have never been more unexcited about starting a series as I am right now today. And, and I, don't, I don't know if unexcited is the right word. I feel very burdened. I feel very overwhelmed by what we're trying to do, what I'm trying to do. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Usually when I get to a series, I, you know, I know where I'm going all the way through to the end. I feel like I'm still trying to figure this one out. That this question of what, why family why why do that in the united states 
You, you know, I, I feel like we have a, arrived at a place in America like never before. And I don't even know what I mean by like never before. I don't know what another time is that I would be referencing. You know, no time like except then. I don't even know what that is where we've arrived at this place where we're not sure what a family is and, and, and what to do with it. We're not sure if we still want that in America. And, and, and this is a question I believe that every single one of us needs to be able to answer, needs to be able to live, needs to be able to share wherever you are. Listen, if you're single, widowed, divorced, don't really see marriage or family out there in front of you, you need to be able to know what God says about this and share it with others. If you're 16 years old, you especially need to know what God's plan on this and be able to share it with others. Hey, if just the mention of the word family causes emotional trauma for you, and that's real, that's out there, I know that, you need to be able to be able to talk about God's plan for family and why we do family. And you you need to be able to share that. It's amazing that we have arrived at this place where we're so against the family. Now, that sounds like a statement a a Christian pastor would make. You know, we we, we Christians, sometimes we get a little persecution mentality going, right? The whole world's against us. They're attacking this. They're attacking that. And, oh, it's us against the world. And and I think sometimes we get a little carried away. Sometimes we're seeing a little enemy behind behind everything. But I, I don't think that's the case here. You say, well, when you say, you know, America's against the family, uh, uh, America is not for the family, what, what are you referring to? What are you pointing to? I could, I could point to a hundred different things and, and didn't even know that this past Friday would provide a, a great example for that. The, as the 117th Congress uh, of the United States House of Representatives is about to convene in a couple of weeks... They get together, the Speaker of the House and the Rules Committee, and, and I guess they kind of determine the rules that are going to govern the coming, the coming session. And I, I guess some of those rules, are, I, I, I don't know, I, I'm going to show my, my lack of poli-sci here, but I don't know if that's just rules about this coming session or, or rules we want to govern us from here on out, but they're putting that list of rules together. It hadn't been voted on, hadn't been approved yet, but in, in the rules being floated, they want to, and this isn't about the nation, it's just what governs the house. You know, what, what they can do, what they can't do, what will be in certain language, what will be in writing. And the United States House of Representatives wants to ban the word father, mother, son, and daughter. Because they're offensive. And they're insensitive words. I, th- I think I could just stop right there and say that America's growing increasingly against the family. You know, a, a lot of you in here, uh, and I'm not saying this is a point of anything, it's just a reality. You don't have a clue what your kids are watching on social media, on YouTube, and a host of other things. But I can assure you this, 100% of what they are watching is daily promoting something that is entirely in opposition to what you call family. And folks, whatever our reasons 
of being for or against the family. Whatever things need to change uh, uh, about how that is presented. It doesn't change the fact that the nuclear family, a husband and a wife married, a father and a mother and children, is the key determinant of your health and well-being. Second place is so far behind. There is nothing more that governs your health and well-being than being inside that body. You say, what do you mean my my health and well-being? About everything sociology measures. Poverty, addiction, abuse, education, development. I, I mean, we can go on and on and on. Everything sociology measures, your numbers shoot through the roof if you're coming out of that model of a nuclear family. The moment you get outside of a nuclear family. And you know what? Sometimes we have to get outside of a nuclear family. Sometimes we're not left with an option. Sometimes we have to take on an alternative. But when you take on that alternative, it's difficult. And more negative numbers become a reality. There's nothing better than the design of the nuclear family. And yet here we are asking, why why family? Why why would we have to defend that? Why would we have to answer that question? You know, I I think there's a lot of reasons. I, I don't think there's one. I think there's a number of reasons that we are where we are. Maybe a more positive one is I think America on whole is kind. Not always, right? Not every single person, not every single situation, but as a whole, we're kind. As a whole, none of us really wants to see somebody being picked on. None of us really wants to see somebody being left out. None of us really wants to see somebody being shamed or a big group of people all shaming some person. We don't, I don't want that for anybody. We don't want to see that. And, and, and so because of that, we, we don't want to tell the truth about family. Matter of fact, we've become afraid to tell the truth about family. We don't want to talk about the, the overwhelming, devastating effects of divorce on an individual, on a family, and on an entire nation, all measurable. That, that's not opinions. That's all measurable. We don't want to talk about that because it feels like then we'd be pointing at a divorced person and saying, this is your fault. You did this. Look, look how bad you are. Look what you did. Well, I don't, I don't want to. That's not what I meant. That's not what I'm saying. And I don't know how to say it, so you know what I say? Nothing. You know, I don't want to talk about the importance of a mom and a dad in the, in the life of a child because that just becomes too overwhelming to the already overwhelmed, heaped under guilt, single parent that is doing all, of the, all that they can. And so we just say nothing. I, I, we're not going to address gender equality and gender confusion and our total inability to even define a gender because that might I might sound like I'm judging or condemning somebody that's struggling or living in that that realm and so we say nothing instead of maybe figuring out is there a balance between the truth and being sensitive because we have lots of generations now the generations are piling up of hearing nothing about the importance of the design of the nuclear family. You know, I, ac- I actually believe that there is some good that has come from this sensitivity 
this respect. I don't know that the church has always done a good job at that. I think we can go back to places, and, and I, I, I wasn't a pastor then. I'm not even this old, so don't put me back there. But, I mean, I think if you go back to the church of the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, I don't know that the church was always very good at dealing with some of the situations in people's lives. Hey, folks, home can be hard. And a fallen world, a broken world, hits the hardest in the home. Leaves the biggest mark in the home. And people would come out of that home and come wandering into a church. And sometimes that's where they felt the most left out. The most at fault. The most guilt. So I think, I think there's a place where maybe, hey, I think we could have been better at being more sensitive. Being more respectful of understanding where some, some people have landed because of the home they're in. But being sensitive and being respectful doesn't mean saying nothing at all. Being sensitive and respectful doesn't mean we just stop saying the truth. And you you don't understand when I say truth, I'm not talking about truth as a Christian pastor sees it. Nothing I've said so far has anything to do with being Christian or pastor. An atheist who hates family who is being honest at looking at sociological data that has been compiled decade after decade after decade after decade. It all says one thing. Do you know the safest place, the safest place on planet earth? See, what do you mean safest? Uh, abuse, poverty, education, development, opportunity. And, and yes, I'm saying this in light of the fact that in the house we can get a lot of our pains and brokenness. The safest place on planet earth is inside a home with a father and a mother, a husband and a wife and children. That is the safest, healthiest place physically, mentally, emotionally for everything that can be measured sociologically in the world. And, and yet we're asking why family? And, and I, don't, I don't mean to imply that everybody's experiencing something bad in family. I would, I would imagine for a lot of us, we, you know, we hear the word family, we hear the word home, and man, there's good memories that are attached with that. We think of family and home, and that's a, that's a place of protection, that's a place of provision, that's a place of guidance, that's a, a, a place of development, it's, it's a place of unconditional love and acceptance. There's some good things that happen in a home. And yet we have these generations coming up that are saying, why why do marriage? I mean, they all fail. And look at the pain and damage that's done. Why do kids? Gosh, they cost a lot and they just grow up and believe something completely opposite from you. I mean, why why do any of that? Why, Why put yourself through that? I mean, that seems like a kind of a fair question, doesn't it? I mean, God, do you have, do you have a plan for this? Do you, hey, God, do you have a plan when we all break the plan? Because we're all going to mess up the plan, right? So do you still have a plan then? Or God, was family just a good idea way back when, but our sin just messed it up, made it, made it unachievable? Now, again, a lot of what I've said this morning is sociology and history. But yes, as a Christian pastor, I do look to the scriptures. 
But a lot of people asking the question, why, why even do that? Why do family? They don't have the scriptures. They don't, they don't know them, don't have them, don't believe in them. And, and, and maybe all they have is their home or the home of, of some friends that they've been to. They have no real way to ask, what, why, why do you do this? Why, why? And folks, here's probably a, a kind of a key statement that is going to be a thread that will run through the whole series. Why bind yourself to people who will disappoint you? Now, I'm not suggesting that your family is a gathering of the most disappointing people on the earth. But just do the odds. You know, run the numbers. Who are you around the most? Who have you invested the most in? Who do you have the highest expectations of, right or wrong? Family. (laughs) And so the odds are there that they have the great... I think we forget that. We forget. It's plug and play. Any person you put there is going to disappoint. So so why why do that? I mean, you you realize as, as we're asking the question why family, our world, YouTube, social media, and the U.S. House of Representatives is promoting everything but the family. Every kind of alternative, and every alternative plays to me. You know, I use it while I need it, and when I'm done, I'm, I'm out. So why bind, that's the operative word here, why bind myself to people who are going to disappoint us? And folks, God has an answer for that. God has a, a plan for that. He knew He knew when he brought you together with that mate, when he gave you those children, he knew there'd be some disappointment. And and he has a plan in that. And that's what we're going to be trying to discover. That's what we're going to be trying to unwrap as we walk through this series over the next couple of months. You know, today, I I think kind of a simple idea. I just wanted to uh, kind of give a context for the question. What, What does why family Mean And it's kind of two-pronged. On, on the one hand, why family? We, th- this is something our culture is asking. But then on the other hand, it's something we're all asking. And do you know what? If I know why, if I know the target, if I know the goal, then I can endure. I can endure the disappointment. I can endure the letdown a lot more if I know why something is, if I know what the target and the goal is. And so that's what we're going to be trying to, to unwrap during these couple of uh, months here. Uh, the other thing I want to do today is just kind of roll out the blueprint. We're just going to get around the kitchen table here and roll out the blueprint. We're not looking at plumbing or electricity today. We're not assigning who gets what room. We're, we're, we're just looking at the big picture, the house. And you know, folks, the scriptures give us a lot about the family. You've got didactic passages. That means teaching passages. The purpose and the point of that passage is to say, do this or don't do this as a family member or as a family. Then you have other passages that are more narrative. They're illustrative. It's a story. And by the story, we learn something about a a father or a a mother or something about marriage. So you have a lot of passages that are going to come at us in these different ways. But there are two passages that are just absolutely foundational 
to all of Scripture. Two passages that I think every family marriage passage in Scripture anchors to, and that is Genesis 2, 18 to 25, and then Ephesians 5, 21, and oh, they, I had a little typo there and they fixed it. 521 to 64. These two passages, one Old Testament passage, one New Testament passage, are, are going to be what we anchor through in this series. And it's what most of the scripture anchors to. Everything comes back, I think, to these two passages. And in these two passages, you have the design and then you have the why. We have a design and then why I live in that design. So let's look at these real quickly this morning. We're not going to, you know, break them down or spend a ton of time in them. Just want to hear, oh yeah, God does have a plan. God has a design here. So let's look at the Genesis one real quickly first. Genesis 2.18, pretty easy to find. Just open your Bible and start turning a few pages and you should hit it pretty quickly. Genesis 2 verse 18. It says, then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, let me stop right here. I'm going to come back to this in a moment, but you just had God say something's not good. Now, you say something's not good when something's broken, when something needs to be fixed, when, when something's empty. It need, hey, there needs to be a change here. What's interesting is God is saying that in a perfect world. Well, wait a minute. If everything's perfect, why does something need to be fixed? Well, we'll come back to that. Genesis 2.18 is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of his, the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. And that would be a target. That would be a goal we want to have in our home. That's the design that in the home, there's no shame. There's vulnerability. There's trust. There's openness and no fear of being shamed. So there's the design. Now, what we're going to get with Ephesians, go ahead and turn there. We're going to get the why. Why are we doing this? Ephesians chapter 5, you'll find Ephesians about 90% through your Bible. You're going to the other end, right after Corinthians and Galatians, right before Philippians and Colossians. Uh, Ephesians 5, and I'm going to begin in verse 21. Now, verse 21 is a bridge statement. It, 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 is, it, is, it belongs to the passage we're not reading. It, it belongs to the passage that comes before it. And yet it's a bridge. It's bringing us into the next passage. And in that passage, in that verse, 521, we have a bad word. Submit. Submit. You know, there's people who've literally rejected the Bible and rejected the Christian faith simply over the idea that Christianity calls wives to submit to their husbands. Well, I mean, what, what, a, what a Neanderthal idea. What a backwards idea. I mean, that all by itself almost disqualifies all of Scripture. I always find it interesting that women do not enjoy equality or freedom anywhere on planet Earth. 
except where Christianity has significantly touched. If we have a Bible and we have a spirit that that wants to enslave women, that wants to make them beholden to men, it's interesting that they don't have freedom and equality anywhere but where this book has lived profoundly. So, interesting thought there. But let's understand what Submit is about. In, In 5.18, we are given the command to be filled with the Spirit. Filled means controlled. I'm to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And then it gives me some pictures, some ideas of what will be going on in my life when I am filled with the Spirit. Because how do I know? I mean, I asked the Lord this morning, hey, fill me, fill me, Lord, with the Holy Spirit. You know, and I look around, I guess I am. I don't know. How do I know, Lord, if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, verse 19, 20, 21 start to give you, hey, here's what's happening in your life. Here's what's coming out of your life when the Spirit's in control. And you get to verse 21 and you will find your life submissive. That, remember I said last week, this is a key character quality of the Christian life. And this, verse 18 to, to 21, is talking about the spiritual family. When the Spirit is in control of my life, when I come in here, I'm going to be submissive to you. That means I'm yielding to you. I want to see the good of you. I want to see your needs served, your needs met. I'm thinking about who you are and what you want. I submit. I set aside what I'm thinking and feeling. I I set aside what I want for the moment to serve you, to submit to what's going on in your life. That's how we live in a spiritual family. And I feel like almost like the Holy Spirit said, hey, listen, why we're talking about submit and the spiritual family, let's cross a bridge now and go back home to our biological family. Let's go to our biological, our physical family. We just talked about the spiritual family, but let's go to our home now and let's apply the word submit, not just to wives, but to every member of the house. Here's what submission will look like for wives. Here's what submission will look like for husbands. Here's what submission will look like for children. Here's what submission will look like for parents. All of a sudden now the passage kind of takes on a whole new flavor. Now, one of the reasons we think this is just about wives is because they get that word. Let me let me go ahead and read that. And further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Who are we doing this for? For Christ. We don't, we don't submit to one another because we deserve it. We don't submit to one another because we trust we won't be taken advantage of. We don't submit to one another because good's always going to come out. No, we submit to one another out of reverence for him. I'm serving him. I'm serving Christ when I do this. Okay, so what does that look like for a wife? Verse 22, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. That last little line there is kind of key. Just as the church does this, wives, I want you to do this. What I kind of see happening here is the Holy Spirit is saying, okay, ladies, here's what I want to do. I want to give you this word submit that I just gave to the entire body of Christ. And I want you to take on the responsibility of modeling this character quality in your home so that everybody wants it. So that everybody understands how to live it. And you will do that in your relationship with your husband. Yes, I know that's going to be hard. So let's just make this about you and me. You submit to him as you serve me. Okay? Now watch, look at verse 25. For husbands, for husbands what? For husbands, submission looks like this. 
This means love your wives. Now, this is why we get the problem here with submission and love. Submission sounds so concrete. We know exactly what that means. That means somebody else wins. That means somebody else is right. And I'm, I'm, I think that means I'm wrong and they're right. You know, and, and we, it just seems like a very concrete idea. But love, husbands love your wives. Just like you do fishing. And the Denver Broncos. And, and whatever. You know, I mean, love is just such a, it's not a concrete word, is it? it, it not, not, not any challenging ideas come to our minds when we hear the command to love. Oh, yeah, love your wife. So God goes ahead and kind of fleshes out what he's talking about when he says love your wife. And he says, I want you to love your wife. No, 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 no. Not, not, not like you like pizza. Not, not like you love fishing. No, no, no. I want you to love her like Christ loved the church. Now what Christ did is with his heart and his mind, and I'm using this more in our terms than I would his, he studied the church till he knew absolutely perfectly what our, I'm going to say her, but her is our, he studied the church till he knew what her need was, and then he gave his life to meet that need. I want you to love your wife like Christ loved the church. That means the entire focus of your life is to study her and to know what serves her, to know what meets her needs, and then you do whatever it takes to meet that need. When you're hanging on a cross, you're done. Don't stop until it costs you everything. Could I just go fishing? You know, no, no, there's no big winner here in this passage, right? The challenge is equally spread for all of us. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, you serve her until it costs you your life. Let me go ahead and read it. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. You know what Jesus' love did for me? It made me beautiful in the eyes of God. His love for me made me beautiful. And the scripture just said, husbands, your love for your wife should make her beautiful. You know, if your wife's gotten a little bit ugly to you, that might be your love that did that. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Listen, you're serving yourself when you serve her. Take care of her, you're taking, you're taking care of you. Everybody wins here. No one hates his own body, but he keep, feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scripture says... It's taking us back to Genesis 2. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Oh, wait a minute. Wow. I I thought I was getting married just for my happiness. And the moment you're not making me happy, well, then it's time for new marriage. No, no, I'm not getting married to be happy. I'm getting married so that my marriage is an illustration of Christ in the church. And so that a watching world is literally attract, my marriage is to attract the world to the beauty of God's word and God's love. 
I wonder how many people walked down an aisle this past Saturday without a clue. No concept of this at all. Now, does it matter? Every single time. Anytime you use anything outside of what it's designed for, you greatly increase the odds you break it. When you use something for what it's designed for, when you use something inside of its purpose, probably find life a little bit more efficient and a lot more pleasurable. Our, 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 our purpose is, is right here. We're going we're gonna to get into this later. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Boy, we're going to get really serious about this passage in a couple of weeks. Chapter 6, children, this is what submission looks like for you. Obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. Not obey your parents because they're the smartest people in the world. Not obey your parents because they're always right. Not obey your parents because it always turns out good. No, you do this for the Lord. Everyone, do you notice every role in the family is directed? Here's what you're doing to the Lord. See, you and I get focused on the other, and what do we do? We're constantly evaluating our deservedness, whether you're making me happy. You know, I, hey, I'm doing my part. Are you doing your part? You see, we're constantly, and wait, wait a minute, you're not, God's saying, hey, I, did, I didn't ask you to do this for any of that. You, you do this as unto me. This is about you and me that you're doing this. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. We're going to understand that promise and how that works. Verse 4, fathers, and fathers is being used here as a governmental head in a governmental sense. In other words, it includes fathers, mothers. You could put parents there. Parents, do not provoke your children to anger. You know, a parent really is the original bully position, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I, I mean, I'm not a towering figure of a person here, but over a four-year-old, I'm pretty big. I, I mean, a parent is got the size, they got the money, they got the house, they got the keys, they got everything. The child's got nothing, and and so I I, I can make them do whatever I want. I mean, it really is the original bully position. It's amazing how much of our parenting, too, is done out of the mood we're in that day. And how's a child supposed to figure that out? How's a child supposed to understand the target of this big bully? And so God says, hey, listen, I know you've got the size. I know you've got the money. I know you've got the power. No, don't, don't do that. that. That just angers. That just provokes. I, I, I want you to bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Don't let your mood that morning decide what the rules are for that day. Let my instruction always be the guide. So what am I submitting to as a parent? I'm, I'm submitting to my, my position as the biggest one in the house. I, I'm, I'm submitting to that child. I have the size. I have the money. No, no, no. It's not about that. It's not about winning. It's not about getting away. It's not about getting peace and quiet. It's about training and raising the child in the Lord. And I'm going to submit to what the goal is here in this moment. So, man, there's a lot here, isn't there? I mean, we, we, we've got a design in Genesis. I, I, I love that, that God says, hey, there's a need here. 
Now, it's a perfect world. Adam is living, and I don't mean perfect world as in some kind of poetic way. Oh, this is the perfect place. No, it's, it's perfect. Every, Adam is in a perfect relationship with God, a perfect relationship with the environment, a perfect relationship with the animals. Everything is perfect, and yet God points to a need. So the need isn't the product of something broken. The need isn't the product of something empty or missing. The need is a product of the design. Family's not a product of sin. Family isn't an idea we came up with because at one time that used to be a safe way to live. No, family is a part of the design. God designed us to be in relationship. We got all kinds of relationships. And the world now affords me the opportunity to have all kinds of relationships I don't even have to be bound to. But I'm designed, I am literally served by being in relationships that are devoted, that are committed. There, there is a binding there. And so God, that's the design that, that God has. He is, the, he is the, the Holy Trinity, shows us a relational God and, and so in that, I learn about relationship. Now, all my relationships can do that, but none like the relationships of the home. And that's where we now kind of segue into Ephesians 5, and we have all of that. Why? Do you know what the home gives me? My best opportunity, my best opportunity to learn about Jesus and how he loves me. And then to exercise being like Jesus and loving like Jesus. Now, do I have to do that with all relationships? Sh- sure, I do. I have, from the enemy to the stranger, of course, co-workers and neighbors and, and, and every, I, I have to learn about Jesus in those relationships, love like Jesus in those relationships. But, but, but some of y'all, when I'm practicing being like Jesus, it is painful. And every now and then you just wear me out and I think I'm done being like Jesus here. I'm going home. <laughs> right? Do you know what my home is? It's just a handful of people, a mate, some kids. It's a handful of people where I don't get a break from being like Jesus. What? Never a break? Why, why, why can't I ever get a break from practicing being like Jesus? Because Jesus never gets a break from being Jesus. How do I really know my Savior? How do I really understand how He loves me without an opportunity to be in a place? I mean, the goal ultimately is all people, but hey, here's just a couple. You don't get a break. You got to love, you got to serve, and you got to forgive day in and day out. Yeah, but they're not, they're not doing it for me. Oh, so you now know what it's like to be me. I mean, do you realize in every problem, every complaint, every frustration that we would say about a mate, about a child, about a parent, do you realize Jesus would say, yeah, I know exactly how you feel. Welcome to me loving you. Our our, our greatest opportunity to appreciate God's love is in a home. No other relationship provides that opportunity because I can so easily walk away from every other relationship. I, we can walk away from family too, right? But it's very difficult. And, and it's very messy. <laughs> I, again, I think that's by, that's by God's design. 
So there's, there's where we're trying to get to. Uh, there's a lot more to understand. There's a lot to break down. What does that mean that, that, that everybody in the family just gets to run over me? Are there any boundaries? Or are there any rules? We're going to look at all that. We're going to be answering all that. But, but folks, do, do you realize we got a world that is asking, why do family? Your marriage and your home should be their best opportunity to see how beautiful and right and good his word is. And it doesn't take finding the perfect mate and have raising perfect kids. That doesn't, that doesn't really help. Because most of the world out there doesn't have a perfect mate. And they don't have perfect kids. So if that's all you've got to offer, then you've got no help. Ah, but we're not offering how perfect our home is. We're offering God in his word. And how by the power of the Holy Spirit we seek to live it. Amen. What a, what a great opportunity. Yeah, I joked at the last service. Somebody could say, well, I mean, no, I, I mean, at work, nobody even sees my marriage or my home. Ah, but they hear you talk about your marriage, don't they? Do you, do you realize there's never a day where you're not communicating something about family? Attitude, actions, words, most of the time you don't even know. Never a day you're not communicating that. What's shaping what you're communicating? Because we live in a world desperate for an answer. We live in a world that is promoting every alternative to what works. And don't you want your home to be available to God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I do pray selfishly. I pray for help and for guidance in where this series goes and how each message develops. God, I, I pray for your sovereign work and who's here each week. Who's engaging online each week. That, that, that Lord, you just bring the right message for the right person at the right time and you just do that week after week after week. And God, I pray that, that we are we are... I pray we're going to apply your word. Not just say we believe it, but we're going to live it. Lord, I pray my goal, I pray our goal in this is not to win a Twitter war. It's not even to win a culture war. Our goal is to discover your design and live in it. And make it beautiful for people all around us. And by beautiful, Lord, you know I don't mean perfect and always happy beautiful because it's you and it's your word father we just kind of commit these passages we commit these coming sundays just ask you to use them in each of our lives wherever we are whatever our age whatever our experience with family you would use it in each of our lives we are we are coming before your throne and we're asking for your help in this it's in the name of jesus christ that we pray this Amen.